are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Thank you, thank you. Exciting day today. Got breakfast in bed. Thank you, Lord, that Lance cooked it and the children didn't. That was nice. All right. Still, that will drive you crazy, won't it? Yeah, fix it. Okay. Okay. First things first, it's not every day you get to preach with your mom. So, <laughs> selfie. There we go. Okay. Facebook later. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I just want to share a couple of slides with you, uh, kind of, you know, those Mother Day joke things. So first one. Oh, we're going to talk about glory in the house today. That's a nice slide. I made that. That's beautiful. Okay, next one. Okay, you're a parent when it takes longer to get everyone in the car than to run the actual errand. Seriously, live it still. I thought when they were out of diapers, that would be over. Still happens. Please, just go to the car. Next one. Silence is golden. Unless you have kids, then silence is just suspicious. Okay, so she started off watching a Barney movie. Two minutes later, I hear Bruce Willis swearing his head off. I have no, I should have known, you know, it was a rookie mistake. I should have checked on her. It was quiet for too long. And um, Effie's going to start. She's going to give you the advice. I'm going to give you the story. Um, Mom, in the advice, remember when I was in grade 10 and you put this room is condemned by the health department? Yeah. <laughs> Tell them don't do that because I'm still, still not good about it. And when you moved in with me, was it because you thought I couldn't keep my house clean and you just wanted to be there and make sure? I just want to give you all the assistance you need. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to all your moms. I pray that you're blessed as I am. We, uh, I was thinking this morning, I uh, truly can say that the, there's a story in the Bible in Proverbs 31, and I, that's the way I feel. I, my children rise up and call me blessed. My grandchildren bless me. My husband speaks good of me. And... I dare to say my son-in-law speaks good of me. So I am truly blessed, and I pray that you are as well. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And this verse, a couple of verses of scripture is very familiar to uh, a lot of you ladies. Some of you have it posted on your Facebook and you use it to encourage one another and <clears throat> to just do the best you can to get your body into shape and, and to uh, hear from God and encourage one another in that way as well. I follow that and uh, I'm very proud of you. Uh, we live in a body conscious world. There are all kinds and ways and means to get a healthy body. There are many ways to make us look good on the outside. 
We can eat a healthy diet. We can exercise, and there's all kinds of exercise equipment. And I think we've had most of them from the time since we've been married. But unless you use them, they don't help. <laughs> uh, you can use cosmetics, all kinds of surgeries. So we can clean up, paint up, and fix up. And uh, it's all good. It's good to prepare our bodies to look good on the outside and prepare it to receive Jesus into our hearts. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So if he's preparing a place for, you, for us, it's very important for us to prepare our bodies for him, our temple for him to come and live in. And then at the beginning of every year, our pastor calls a, a three-week fast, and we spend that time eating properly. We, a lot of us fa follow along uh, with the Daniel uh, diet or scripture that's there. And, and Daniel came out and his friends came out looking much better after three weeks of just eating the healthy foods than uh, the ones that were in the king's court and ate everything that was put before them. So it's good to do that. <clears throat> so during that time, we invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and our homes, and we pray for healing. We pray for direction from God for the year ahead for our church and our families. We, if we have unsaved loved ones, we pray that prodigal sons and daughters will come back home, and uh, every member of our family and friends would get right with God. The day you became a born-again Christian, something happened to your body. Another dimension was added to your being. For me, this is the way it happened. It doesn't happen like this to everyone, but the one thing that I did do, everyone must do. And that was when I asked Jesus into my heart to forgive my sins and to be Savior of my life. <clears throat> but for me, I went to the altar in a small church on Woody Island, Pacentia Bay, Newfoundland, and I cried and wept and asked God to forgive my sins and come into my heart. And when I did that, I actually felt like a load had lifted off my shoulders. And you might say, well, you must have been a really bad sinner. But I, I believe that in God's eyes, sin is sin. And, but I had, I felt lighter. I had um, a peace in my heart that I could not explain. The next morning when I got out of bed and looked outside, everything looked greener, and the trees, the grass, everything. It was just, and the peace that I had in my heart. It, you know, truly it was joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I'd like to tell you that I had those same feelings every day of my life. Since that day in 1965, when I asked Jesus into my heart. But the truth is, most days, I have to walk by faith, not by feelings, not by sight. And there are and always will be days when I have to repent of things that I allow into my heart. Sometimes it can be something that someone says, someone does to me. But if I allow that seed of bitterness to get into my heart, it just eats away and it causes me to lose that close relationship with Jesus. And before I realize it, maybe if it's someone, a friend that I know or acquaintance, whatever, if I, they've said something that, you know, really 
hurt me, I might try to avoid seeing them. And maybe if I'm in the church, I could, instead of going straight down, I could go out the side door, anything to avoid them. But I pray that that's not the case. But the Bible talks about us, and we used to sing it in Sunday school years ago too, jealousy, envy, malice, and pride. They must never in my heart abide. And that's true, you know. If we allow those things to come in, we're the ones that it will hurt. We're the ones that lose that joy and that peace, that glory that Jesus wants to fill us with. So those kind of things are just an example of ways the enemy he wants to get a wedge in, and if he can do it, it doesn't matter if it comes from a husband, wife, any kind of sibling or friend, but he will try anything to get you from having your temple filled with the glory that Jesus wants to fill you with. And when we lose the supernatural glory, we lose the heart of God. In 1 Chronicles 29, 1 and 5, King David prepared the temple for his, that his son Solomon would be the king of. And he donated all kinds of gold, silver, precious stone, marbles, everything. So they spent time preparing the temple. And then in Second Chronicles 7, 1 to 3, it says that when the day of dedication came and Solomon prayed the prayer of dedication, the glory of the Lord came and filled the temple. And that's what happens when we pray. When we ask Jesus to come in, he comes, and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. When we don't, well, we don't have a building. We don't have to prepare a building anymore to experience the glory of the Lord. But our hearts are the temple that we need to keep clean from all the dirt and filth that might come into our minds. We need to take captive those things instead of entertaining them. Stay in the word. Keep short accounts with God. Love your enemies with the love of Jesus. And Matthew 5:44 tells us to love our enemies and pray for them. Instead of allowing the lies of the enemy to linger in our minds, that's where we need to start. As soon as that seed of bitterness comes in or whatever it is that's not good, we need to take it captive immediately and, and tell the enemy where to go in Jesus' name. John 14, 23 says, Our bodies are the temple of God. Let us do our best to keep it clean and filled with the glory of God. How to do that? There's a chorus that we used to sing many years ago in Sunday school. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, the little tongue, what you say. And be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Because the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, all those eyes, ears, tongue, hands, feet what you do, what you say, where you go. So I just pray that God will just bless you and you'll have a wonderful year ahead. Thank you, Mom. She's the best. She sets the bar. She sets the bar so high. That's, that's what you want to aim for, to be a mom like that. She's been amazing. She's truly one of those people who... 
um, I think she actually gets joy out of serving. She doesn't just serve because she thinks she should or she have. It actually makes her happy. And uh, I just think she's just been such a great example. Okay, I want to tell you a story. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's about Elijah. And everyone, I'm just going to read the scripture. And then I'm going to kind of tell you what I feel the Lord showed me. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishp in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the brook east of Jordan. Then the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he arrived at the gates of the village, and he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called out to her, And bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar, and a little bit of oil in the bottom of a jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I, we were going to die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for you and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The container... There will always be flour and olive oil left in your container until the time when the Lord sends rain to, on the crops to grow again. So she did, as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil left in the container, just as the Lord has promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. And then she said to Elijah, O oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him upstairs to the room where he was staying, and he laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. So I want to just quickly just kind of show you 
the different parts of the story. And first of all, we've got Elijah. Elijah is a picture of Christ because Elijah could speak and the, wind, and the rain would stop falling. And he could speak the word and it would rain again. And he only did what God told him to do. And doesn't that sound exactly like Jesus? He only did what he saw his father doing. He, um, he was a thorn in Ahab's side. Ahab was the king and the king... Uh, intermarried a woman from another land, probably an arranged marriage for an alliance, and he married this wicked woman, Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel represent the, the atmosphere of this age, the prince of the world. Okay, so they began to compromise. And Ahab began to say, sure, we can have other gods in this land. And he became rebellious and disobedient. And the people bowed down to these other gods. And so often, um, so then Elijah comes and he says, God says, no more rain. And so we often think, and we look around, we go, you know what? If God's so good, how come he lets these things happen? But if we look at our world, how many times has our leadership and us as people turned our back from what God said, and then we get the consequences of famine and death? And that's what famine is. Famine is the beginning of death. And the Bible says that when we sin, something is going to happen. And it's called, you're going to get wages. And the wages are the same for everyone. And it says the wages of sin is death. Death in relationships. You sin in your relationship, your relationships will begin to die. You sin at your workplace, and your integrity and your character begin dying. There's only one way to redeem sin, and that is to turn around and start doing the right thing and to repent. Okay? So sin was prevalent in the land through the leadership and the people Famine happens, and um, Ahab was just a picture of that. So God says to Elijah, he says, go to this brook. Now, all of us know what ravens are like. They're not a foreign bird to us. Ravens do not bring food. They take food, right? Absolutely. So this right there is a miracle. God was with this man, right? And then the book, brook dries up, and, you know, so often I think, we think when something goes wrong, what did I do wrong? But God, if he didn't dry up the brook, he would stay there forever. But God needed him to be in another place. So he says, this isn't going to be good for you anymore. And God says, I have provided for you. I have instructed a widow to take care of you. You want to know the crazy part? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says God and the widow had a conversation. He said that he instructed her, and I'm telling you that when you, when something's drying up in your life, the, per the person on the other side, the next person in the part of your story has already been instructed by God, but they don't remember having a conversation. So God already sets up things in your life, in your future, well, if you will be obedient, he's like, I've already provided it, it's going to be there. He's, God's word is money in the bank. So he gets up. And he goes um, to this place. And this place was outside of Israel, okay? So he goes into this other land, and he meets, he, he's by the city gates. And then we see the widow in the story. The widow in the story is me. The widow in the story is you. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. The widow represents us, okay? So she is doing something. She's out gathering sticks. And this is what we know about her. We know that um, she had death in her past. She was a widow. Something bad had happened in the past. Uh, we knew that she very much believed that death was in her future. 
and she and we know that she had no provision uh, we know that God knew who she was and he knew where she lived he knew her address and uh, we know that she like us was not born into the covenant relationship like the Israelites were this is before uh, Jesus on the cross so this was a woman who is outside do you know there was probably thousands of available widows in Israel, but God sent Elijah outside of Israel. What does that tell us? That tells us that God does not have favorites, that you have to be in a certain denomination, that you have to be in the right place at the right time. He knows where you are. Do you know that God's ability to find you is so much bigger than your ability to miss him? So don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about, I've got to position myself to be in the right place at the right time. If your heart is saying, God, I want you in my life, he will honor your prayer. So we know that she was a good mom. How do I know she was a good mom? Because she said, I only have enough left, and my son, I'm going to make a cake, and my son and I are going to eat this cake, and we're going to die. A good mom says, we are going to die of starvation, but you are going to do it on a full stomach, son. So I know she was a good mama. So the son, she had a son. We know that she still had a son left. What does the son represent in this story? He's tomorrow. That's her future. That was her legacy. That was her hope. And whether you have a natural son or not, we all have a tomorrow. And so basically she was saying, this is all I have left. And so Elijah asked her for the drink. And you know what? Sometimes God does this for us. He's so kind. He can set up the circumstance that leads up to the big one, okay? So I know that if he could just get her to say yes to the drink, she's already in the frame of being yes, right? Okay, I can get you a drink. And he says, while you're at it, get me a cake. Oh, man. Like, that's not just my cake. That's the one I was going to share with my son. Like, that's the only cake, right? And so the drink, you know, this scripture in Revelations uh, verse 320 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with you. Yeah. So I believe when she got the drink, that was like opening the door. And so this is an open door right now. And then he says, but you've got to feed me first. And then you're going to have enough for you and your son until this is over. So what does she need to do? She needs to take a step of faith. She needs to take a giant step of faith with nothing else to back her up. And maybe part of it is, well, I only had the one cake. We're going to die anyway. What do I have to lose? But there's also something else in the scripture. She says, as surely as your Lord lives. Maybe she knew that the God of Israel, he's got a good reputation because I've been praying to the God of Sidian and I'm still a widow about to die. But as surely as your God lives. So maybe she knew the difference. So... What does the Bible say? Oh, first of all, the first one's you open the door. The second one is will you come in? And so God's not, you know, that one cake isn't going to change her whole, her whole world, but he's looking at her heart response. Always. He's just looking for a response. If you think he needs your $20, you're mistaken. He needs to know what's your heart feeling about that. Are you going to hold tight or are you going to be able to trust him with it? So he's looking for a heart response. It's always going to take faith. So she does it. And the Bible says, 
uh, commentaries say that this famine lasted approximately two years. Two years. So she invites him in. The glory of the Lord is in the woman's house. She's got the provision. The atmosphere in her home is like for us, the Holy Spirit being in our house. All of a sudden, those things that she was consumed with and worried about, they're not her concern anymore. So she's living in a place of provision. The widow's son dies. This is a big shocker because maybe she had thought things have been going really well, and her response is, Elijah, did you come here to remind me of my sin? You see, she was in the foreign land, and maybe she was like, this is what happens. I've bowed down to other gods, and now it's coming back. It's payback. Is that what your god's like? Because our gods in Sidian, they're like that. And she goes to Elijah, and she says to him, what? my son's dead. It, it's not like, you know, he was sick and he's getting worse. Maybe she was just hoping and hoping. But her future, her tomorrow, it wasn't there. And all of a sudden we see something that was more valuable to her than that last cake. It was her son. And so he takes the boy and he goes upstairs. And this is another picture of Christ. We have an advocate the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he is ever interceding for us. And so he takes him up and what does Elijah begin to do? He begins to intercede. He says three times, my God, Lord, please bring life back into this boy's body. And he doesn't quit either. Three times he does this. And so the life returns into him. And all of a sudden this, this widow who thought, death was in my past, death is in my future, goes, death is not in my future. And, you know, Lance said that, you know, we had had 10 years, we were praying for a baby, and that was, you know, that's a whole story in itself. But about year six or seven, maybe, I was in church on a Sunday morning, and my heart had been so cold, I had finally, it just hurt too much. And so I began shutting off my heart to God, and um, I had kind of basically told God, I don't want you to talk to me anymore, because when you talk to me, it confuses me. And I'm pretty good at being cold, and I'm pretty good at not feeling, so I just like to live here. And it had been quite a while before I had heard his voice, and I went into church that Sunday morning, and so powerfully, I just heard him say my name, Cindy, and I thought, oh, like, don't talk to me, God. You could ruin everything. I'm doing really good at just, you know, being numb and existing, and, and it doesn't hurt. And I said, what do you want? And I felt like he said to me, hold a baby. And, you know, God is perfect at remembering where you closed your heart and reminding you of where you need to go back to. And I thought, God, that is the hardest thing I can do. You know I hate that. I stopped going to baby showers. I didn't go to church on Mother's Day. I didn't want to hold babies. And you want me to go and hold the baby? But I missed his presence so much in my life. I knew, I just hearing him speak my name like that, feeling his presence, I was so lonely for that. And I thought, you know what, God? Oh, I want to. I want to feel your presence, but I don't want to do that. You asked me the hardest thing. And so I looked around, and our church 
had more, had more babies or as many babies as this church. All you had to do was sit beside me on a church pew and you would get pregnant, I would not. So I went over to this young mom and I said, do you, do you mind if I hold your baby after church? And God was so nice to let it be more of a private moment. And she thought I was just gushing over her baby and, and I kind of was, but I was just crying. And as I did what God told me to do, I, he started healing my heart. And the thing that I felt like was dead in my life, life started coming back into my spirit. And, and I just left that service like 100 pounds lighter. I felt so good. And I just felt like, God, that feeling of your presence in my life, your glory in my house is so much more important to me. I don't care. I don't care about a baby. But I cannot live without you again. And so... Um, we left and, uh, you know, it was still a couple years after that, but that was a big breakthrough in my life. And, uh, the time of the famine was over and God called Elijah back to Israel. And the whole time, it's ironic because the whole time Ahab and Jezebel were looking everywhere for Elijah, you know, they were searching and God is so smart. It's like the very place the, the epitome of wickedness where Jezebel had come from, he hid Elijah in her homeland. And it was like, it's almost like right under your nose. You know, you can be in the midst, you can be surrounded by the filth of this world, but you can be safe in him. You can be protected in him. So um, he goes back and uh, he, he calls back the rain on the land and the woman had been provided for the widow had been provided for for almost eight years and I guess my question this morning is do you want a visitation from him or do you want an indwelling because one is you open the door and say oh it's you but the hard part is saying yeah you can come in because the hard part is what's your cake what, what do you have that he wants? Because salvation is 100% absolutely free, but after that, it costs you everything. Because he gave his whole life for you, and in return, we get to pour out our life for him. And um, I guess it kind of looks like this, that in the world's eyes, she was a widow, but in God's eyes, she was just worth redeeming. He didn't see her as a widow. He saw her, who represents you and me, as someone who was on the outside, who didn't fit the, maybe the, the criteria of what a blessed person would look like. And he's like, I can see you. And I'm going to send my spirit to find you. And if you will open your door and invite me in, I'll change it. I'll change everything. And so... When God comes back, Jesus is coming back for his church. We firmly believe that. Non-negotiable, white horse, king of kings, lord of lords. And he's coming back. And, and this is what I believe the Lord's saying to us this morning. I'm not coming back for a widow. I'm coming back for a church, a bride, a healthy, strong, resilient owns tomorrow because the one who she's put her faith in owns tomorrow. Okay? So we are the, it says in, uh, I believe it's Corinthians, that 
the old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. You're supposed to be a new creation. And it's a journey. It's a step-by-step. But I'm telling you this morning, if you don't feel like you're a new creation in process, then you need to do business with God. And it's not just mothers, it's, it's mothers, it's fathers, it's children, it's all of us. But I'm telling you, one of the biggest things that will make the difference in your home is the presence of God, the glory in the house. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.